Hello, Rebels of the Sharpolution. Normally, I start off this podcast by saying hi, but I'm going to start this one off by saying hydration. We know how important hydration is for our bodies. It's the thing that keeps us running, right? You want to be a well-oiled machine. You want to be running efficiently. You know what can help you run efficiently? Liquid IV. It is the category-winning hydration brand fueling your well-being, and their hydration multiplier is the one product that you are missing in your daily routine. It comes in a little stick that's a powder, and in just one stick, you get five essential vitamins and two times faster hydration than water alone. If you use it first thing in the morning, maybe before a workout, when you feel run down, maybe after a long night out and doing a little partying, you know what I mean? And even what if you have like a long flight or something like that and you just bleh, right? We all feel that way. Bleh. So add this to your water and that convenient packaging can go with you anywhere you go, even if you're going to the gym or you're traveling or you're at work and maybe you didn't have a great breakfast, at least it's something that will fuel you up in the morning. And there's a whole bunch of flavors that are available, like sea berry, strawberry lemonade, concord grape, lemon lime, pina colada, tropical punch, watermelon, strawberry, passion fruit, guava, acai berry. Did I say that right? I never know how to say that. But those are just some of the flavors. Here's some statistics for you folks. One stick of liquid IV in 16 ounces of water contains five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and even vitamin C. And we all know how important those B vitamins are. It's got three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. It's made with premium ingredients. It's non-GMO and it is free from gluten, dairy, and soy. I'm going to offer you a great deal, Rebels. If you go to liquidiv.com and use offer code Sherpa, you can get 20% off of anything that you order on that site when you're shopping for some better hydration. So that's Liquid IV. Check it out at liquidiv.com. podcast that you're listening to is being presented to you in cooperation with the SJ Network. If you're a person who'd like to appear on a podcast, contact Stephen Joyner at s-j-network.com. Let's get on with the show. Today, on the Sherpa Screening Room is an interview with Bennett Yellen, who has written many popular movies. I know that he wrote Dumb and Dumber. For the longest time, I could have sworn that was going to be the title of the Sherpa's autobiography. Coming to you from Sherpa Chalet in beautiful downtown Mount Podcastia, it's time for entertainment interviews in the Sherpa Screening Room. Grab an aisle seat and a bucket of popcorn, but don't crunch too loud or you'll miss the show. Now, he's your host, Jim, the podcast Sherpa. Rebels of the Sherpolution, welcome to the Sherpa Screening Room. It is a presentation of Too Many Podcasts, and it is I, your faithful Sherpa, Jim the Podcast Sherpa. Yeah, this guy, right here. And I welcome you to the show, and we've got a great guest today. His name is Bennett Yellen, and you might not know his name, but you've probably seen some of his work. He has been a screenwriter in some very popular movies, such as Dumb and Dumber and Dumb and Dumber 2, and Stuck on You, and me, myself, and Irene. Many movies with Jim Carrey, and uh, he's worked very closely with the Farrelly brothers to bring you all that sort of crazy humor. I spent a little time getting to know him, and about that humor as well, and other stories about his career as well. He's led a pretty interesting life, and I think you will enjoy the story. So why don't I stop talking so you can have a listen, being that you're already tuned in right now, to my interview with Bennett Yellen. 
Hello there, Rebels. We are here in the Sherpa screening room. My guest today is a professional screenwriter for many years, and we, we have to mention that he is slim and tan from marching <laughs> on the writer's strike protest. I've lost 30 pounds already in, 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 in almost a month. There you That's go. Not true. <laughs> not true. And before before all this striking began, you know, he is the writer of such popular movies such as Dumb and Dumb and yes. Stuck on You, Me, Myself, and Irene. Not not, not me, myself, and Irene. I'm, I'm only I only have a cameo in it. But oh. but uh, Peter and Bobby were my partners for years. So uh, yeah, the fairly yeah. But I don't want to steal. I don't want to steal the credit. Okay. Well, he's here, and his name is Bennett Yellen, coming to us from California. Bennett, welcome yes. to the show. Thank you, Jim. Thank you very much. And where are you coming from? I'm on the East Coast. Okay, you're being, you're being way Mount too vague. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I gotcha. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, you were actually a fan of classic Hollywood, and I've heard you say in interviews that, like, some of the, uh, Dumb and Dumber and Stuck on You is actually it, it takes those ideas and and really just gives it a new twist. Yeah. Well. Well. Definitely, Dumb and Dumber was absolutely, and, and I don't, I don't hear this. In fact, I never until I started saying it, I never heard it mentioned at all. But Dumb and Dumber is absolutely modeled on. The Bing Crosby, Bob Hope Road Two movies, and if you start thinking about it, it's like, oh, of course, yeah. I mean, it's two guys who pretend who are they seem to be really close friends, but they're complete backstabbers, you know, when it comes to the girl, when it comes to Dorothy Lamour, and that was absolutely, you know, we had a road we with dumb we create we came up with a road movie idea because it's such a the great thing about a road movie is there's an ending. <laughs> there's a beginning and there's a middle and an ending. And when you have a structure like that and you know they're going to get there, it's just make it makes it so much easier, you know. So and so we watched a few a few of those. And I, I love those movies. I always love the, the the road to movies. And then we really emulated that whole backstabbing, you know. Uh, sure, go ahead. You're, you two are a perfect couple. And, and yeah, that, that's it's right from there. And and actually, um, stuck on you was I I showed the guys. I saw this ridiculous. I wouldn't say this is a classic Hollywood movie, but this crazy Hollywood. It was actually like a cult movie called. Um, Chained for Life, starring Daisy and Violet Hilton, who I'm not lying when I tell you they were the only co-joined actresses or actors in Hollywood. They were they were joined at the hip. And uh, and so they made this ridiculous thriller where one of them is, is dating this good guy and the other one's dating a no good Nick. And the one who's dating the no good Nick ends up accidentally killing him in self-defense. But they both go on trial because they're conjoined at the hip. And I said, this is so ridiculous. We should do a movie, a comedy about back then, I think conjoined twin. We I back then we were we said Siamese twins, which is, is you know, that's like calling a little person now a, a midget, you know. It's a little person now. Right. And so uh that that started that. That that got that rolling, which you can't believe. You just can't I can't believe the movie got made. I can't believe yeah, that uh, that they they let us get away with it, and, and that at one point actually Woody Allen was going to be one of the twins. Really? <laughs> yes, yes. And his one request, I was so excited. It, it obviously didn't happen, but his one request was, and I'll try and do this in my worst Woody Allen. He said, "Just just don't show me on the toilet." <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> 
Yeah, that, that, that sounds like a Woody demand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Of any, like, like, yeah, no, no, nothing unreasonable there. <laughs> yeah. You originally went to college with, with Peter Farrelly. That's how you originally met up with these guys? That's how I met. Yeah, I, I met Peter. I went, I, I was born and raised here in Los Angeles or somewhere in in. California, no, in, in Southern California, in LA. And I went to UCLA and then I went to graduate school at, at UMass in Amherst, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And the first day of class, first class, I met Pete. We were in a, in a little, we were in a little class. There was a teacher. The, the class was taught by a guy named George Cuomo, a novelist named George Cuomo. We were all, we were, there were only eight students. You know, you get to graduate school and you start, you know, classes get smaller and you start focusing on your, your major or your 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 MFA, and uh, he had us all bring in the uh, the first page of a short story for that first class, and we were going to go around and read it each first page, and then the teacher George would say, and then we're going to figure out what we can assume from this first page. And Pete and I again were sitting opposite each other. I have not I, I lived at home until I went away to graduate school, so I'm just this I was raised Orthodox Jewish. I'm this shy Orthodox Jewish kid. I'm out of my nest. Here I am, halfway across the, the United States, and I don't know anyone. And we're, Peter and I are sitting directly across from each other. And we read the first page of somebody's story. And the teacher, George, says, now, I like this first page, but, and I have one big but. And he did. He had a large behind. Pete and I looked across the table and were like, started laughing at the, at the pun that nobody else got. And as soon as class was over... We went out in the hallway. He said, he had a big butt. We, <laughs> my name is Bennett. My name's Pete. We were instant friends. Yeah. And, and instantly knew our sense of humor, too, I might say. Yeah. That's how it started. And then Bobby was Pete's, obviously his brother. You know, <laughs> Bobby was going to school. And what happened was, I'm skipping ahead because there's a big, uh, uh, okay, I'll talk. So it, during graduate, the course of graduate school, we both said, you know what, we have the same ridiculous sense of humor. Why don't we write a script together, a comedy? Now, Pete is from Cumberland, Rhode Island. I'm from Los Angeles. Neither of us had any connection to the business whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But we said, let's just do it. It'd be fun. So we wrote it. We wrote it during our, uh, during the course of our, our, our our MFAs. And then when we were finished with it, we were just coming, finishing our program. And, uh, and it was now, now like the holidays at the end of 1985. uh, Pete was on was in New York and he was on a date and the girl said you'll never guess who moved in next door to my parents in Alpine New Jersey Eddie Murphy Pete was like what do you ever see him and she said yeah he was washing his car and I waved hi to him he gave him this script that we wrote called Dust to Dust Dust to Dust was about two idiots we when we wrote it we were this is one of the few times that we were actually thinking of actors because we we didn't know any better <laughs> uh, Bill Murray and John Candy who were you know, right from Splash, you know, we just love them both. Okay. And uh, and by the end of the day, at, at the very least, Pete had gotten the script to her and gave it to her. And she called about a week later and said, you'll never believe it, but uh, I saw him coming out to get his paper and I ran across the street and handed it to him. Fantastic. Didn't hear anything after that. Now, dissolve. Oh, meanwhile, I came home for the holidays and I saw my sister Freda. By the way, Freda, my sister, the character of Freda Felcher in Dumb and Dumber is named after my sister Freda. Uh, Freda went uh, Israeli dancing and she knew David Zucker, who was one of the Zucker brothers who wrote Airplane and Top Secret and Naked Guy. And I said, Freda, would you give... David, our script. 
And this is back in a time when, A, you could give them, a, a script was not on a flash drive. A script was something you could hold right. and you hand to someone. Uh, and she said, sure. And so she gave our script, Dust to Dust, to David Zucker. Now we can dissolve. Six months later, we're finishing our programs. We're graduating. And there's an article in the LA Times all about, Eddie Murphy is now like, like he, he just done Beverly Hills Cop. He was the number, at this point, he was now the number one box office on the planet. And uh, the article was all about what the Eddie Murphy script derby, like everyone's trying to write a movie for Eddie. And it started out, I said, I have the articles. I was like, can't forget. <laughs> Eddie Murphy was looking out his Alpine, New Jersey window home when he saw a site that made his heart sag. It was a neighbor coming across the street with a script. And he says, the neighbor gave, gave him the script, dust to dust. And, and here's what happened. He read it. He loved it. Flew back to LA. And they were looking for us everywhere. They are like, where is this Peter Farrelly and Benny Ellen who wrote this dust to dust? It wasn't listed. It was nowhere because we were nowhere. We weren't represented by anybody. We were just strangers. So Paramount and Murphy planted that to get us to call in. And we called in and we said, hey, we're the guys who wrote that script. We've been looking for you. Uh, and so Eddie, we met with Eddie. We came, we came to L.A., met with him. He wanted us to write something. Meantime, David Zucker calls my sister, Freda. She says, Freda. We want to talk to your brother and his writing partner. Why? Well, we want them to write something for us. So that's how he got started uh, in the most insane and possible way. And, it, and by the way, I don't have to say, Jim, it could never happen today, ever, forever. You can't, you couldn't hand a script. You can't even, you couldn't hand a script to me. I, I wouldn't read it for legal, legal reasons. You know, I can't take a script of yours and, and say, what if there's a coincidence? What if? You say, but I gave it to Bennett, you know, and he read it. And, and then so you just have to say, no, you can't do it. Right. I guess there's probably a lot of legal people involved and my client has written this. And Oh, gosh, it, it would be it, you're putting yourself at a, a great deal of liability. Yeah. Unfortunately, sadly, there have to be other ways to get your material to people. Yeah. But that's how we started. And so, OK, Bobby, I'm sorry. It's the longest answer. But Bobby, so now we come to LA and we're, we're writers. We're, we're, we're represented by creative artists. The current head of creative artists, Richard Lovett, was our junior agent. It was the, like he was just starting out. They handed us, they handed him these two, you know, idiots who were just starting too. And we all started together. Uh, and we would, whenever we'd write something, we'd always let Bob, Peter's brother, Bobby, read it because he had really funny, always great notes, great notes. And at a certain point, uh, Pete said to me, you know, like like ten scripts into our career, he said, you know, let me. Do you want? Do you, what would you say about Bobby joining joining us? And I didn't even think twice about it. I was like, absolutely, he's so good, he's so funny, and that's how Bob got it and got involved, and in how we all ended up working together. Mm -hmm. God, that was a long story. <laughs> But a good one. Myself. <laughs> when when you first wrote Dumb and Dumber, did you have Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels oh, in mind? Absolutely not. Didn't have anybody in line in mind whatsoever. We just had a funny idea, a funny script, and we and we wanted to, you know, um, we actually we wrote it originally for John Hughes asked us to write it. We pitched it to John Hughes and uh he thought it was hilarious. And he said, guys, write this script. This is a really funny script. Write it. And, and if you like, if I like the script, I'll let you direct it. We're like, huh? We hadn't had anything. Pete and I had a couple of things, a couple of credits, or a, a uh, an HBO special with Paul Reiser that we co-wrote with Paul. And then uh, the Zucker brothers had produced a pilot called Our Planet Tonight. And we, we wrote 
a, a few of the sketches on our plants. And I, but that was it. Other than that, Peter and Bobby and I didn't have any thing produced yet. And so uh, we turned it into him. And at the time, he, uh, John Hughes had a deal at Universal and the universe, the deal was up. I and mean, typically what happens is when a, a producer, a director, whatever has a, has a production deal as studio, when that's over, anything they developed at the studio just sort of falls into a crevasse. It just disappears, you know, mm-hmm. and no other studio is going to pick it up because we're not going to make a, a, a script that was developed by, you know, Fox wouldn't make a script that was developed by Paramount usually, you know. So it just it just died, even though he'd liked the script. So a few years later, we went to him and we said, John, what if we took Dumb and Dumber out and tried to get it set up somewhere? And he said, You're I you have my permission to do it. You just can't use me to get it set up. You can't use my name. You can't use me I, I, as the producer. I can't, I'm not gonna, I can't do that anymore. So we were like, or he said, or you have to pay me a million dollars. And we we're like, fine, we won't pay you a million dollars. <laughs> we just won't mention you. And uh, we can swing that. <laughs> we can swing that. Yeah. And there goes a million dollars off the budget. So, uh, and that's what happened. And, we, and so we took it around and, and it was crazy because we were attaching, we were saying Peter is the director of it too. And he'd never, he didn't never directed anything before. It was the most unappealing the, the property to any studio. Everyone turned it down twice. Three times we had we tried to rename it twice to send it out again, and it still got turned down because it had been covered. So they started to figure out, like, wait a minute, we've read the script before, even though it's now our, our two other titles were Go West and A Power Tool is not, not a Toy, which I think was the title of a song. I just someone out there knows, uh, some group, some, it was the title of a song of theirs, and we threw that on there, but uh, they caught on and they, and then there was a little company called the Motion Picture Corporation in Santa Monica. There was two, uh, Stephen Stabler and uh, Brad Cravoy. And they 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 read it and they said, you know, we don't, this is hilarious. We'll let this Pete direct it, even though he's never directed. They took a chance. And once they did, uh, New Line was suddenly interested in doing it, especially because of, like when Jim read it, he loved it. And, and New Line was like, oh, we, well, we'll, we don't, we'll co-produce this. And there's... We have less risk as a co-producer. So they suddenly jumped on board too. And then the momentum, momentum, and momentum. I made a long answer even longer, Jim. That's what I do. I'm a writer. (laughs) (laughs) It must have been interesting making these movies. You're a writer and you're working really right alongside with a director who probably gets your vision. It is. I cannot tell you what a delight it is to co-write something with the director, which I've done a, a number of times. You get to enjoy all the pleasure of being like a, a like in the in the passenger seat in, like in the in the pilot seat but you don't have to, to to worry about all the stress that a director has to go through having to think about it you just show up every day and you're like, this is fun you know uh and you're you're exactly right it's a shared vision it's 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 fantastic which is very very different when you're writing for uh, someone who, who you're writing for someone a director comes in and they have their vision and they want it rewritten in different ways. I mean, they, obviously something about your script, you know, uh, appealed to them and made them want to want to take the movie and direct it. But you also have to give them what they want, you know, and give them the vision they want. And, and that's when it becomes a, a, a collaboration. You know, it's amazing that, you know, nobody, I don't think any, any project, any, any bad movie starts out as, we've got a bad script, let's make a bad movie. No one ever says that. It's almost always a good script. And then as it moves through that assembly line that requires such cooperation from everybody, from every department and, and every part of the studio system, 
it get it gets it can get worn down. That's why a great movie is a miracle. A great movie ought to be celebrated. That it could come through all that and still be good is is an amazing thing. It is having done like so many like very uh, outrageous style comedy. Did you get pigeonholed? You know, when you were doing some of the other movies, or they didn't really consider it. It was just like, well, he's a talented writer. He could probably do this as well. Well, I, I in some respects, I got pigeonholed in, in, a, in a good way in, in that if somebody was looking for, like, first of all, I, I had a reputation uh, from coming from Dumb and Dumber and, and from working with the Farrelly's that was a, a wonderful, you know, it was a great reputation. Oh, this guy knows comedy and everything. And that I think that helped me with once I left the partnership, because I've always worked with partners. I never wrote alone. I never wanted to write alone, really. Mm-hmm. Uh it's just too lonely. I mean, I think William Goldman, you know, a multi Academy award winning screenwriter and author of Marathon Man and the Princess Bride said the loneliest thing in the world is to go into a room by yourself and close the door and sit down at the typewriter. It's just, and face that, that blank page. It's really lonely. I didn't like that. So by being uh, a co-writer and a collaborator, I got to hang out with friends all day and, and you sit there and, a lot of time wasted talking about the news and making jokes and eventually you get you get down to work because a deadline is a deadline um but uh yeah i don't remember what the, so no, but i did so in some respects i absolutely i mean i wouldn't be on this podcast if it wasn't for dumb and dumber right. no question so that reputation was helpful and it was helpful even when i was writing with other writing partners because you know it was we would get called in because oh well you know we've got one of the writers of dumb and dumber i mean they had to re- they, they realized that then when they met the right the new partnership that it was a, another partnership. But uh, but I also have written outside of the comedy genre too because I love I like genre. So I I've done all sorts. Of, I, I'm, I'm a genre kind of guy. I just like and I like a genre because it's it's you come to it with a lot of expectations, and so it's it's more fun for me to write knowing what those expectations are. You kind of you you know the format of what someone's expecting if they sit down to watch a thriller or if they sit down to watch a Christmas movie. I've written family movie, a Christmas movie, uh, you know things like that, and so those are fun. So so I, I don't think it was ever a detriment that I was perceived in any way, as, you know, uh, uh, because I've wrote so many different different genres. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you worked with the Farrelly's, who would you say out of the three of you had probably the craziest sense of humor? Because a lot of oh. the stuff that shows up in those final cuts of those movies of uh, pretty interesting stuff, Bennett. It was uh, that's an that's a I could not possibly say because we all were twisted in our senses of humor, <laughs> which made it so much fun to write together. You know, but uh, also it, it, when it, when you have a collaboration, I mean, there aren't a lot of trio collaborators. You don't find a lot of them. You have, you have twos, but not threes. It's very, it's kind of rare. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, people would ask all the time, well, did you write that joke and, and, and on a certain project? And there are times when I can think back and I can, I can, I can remember that was mine or that was mine, but really here's the process of it. We're sitting there. I was always the one typing because they, they were, they're not the best typist. So I was a much more fleet with my fingers. And uh, so I'm sitting there and they're sitting to my side. And so we, I'd be typing. And a lot of times I'm just, just intuitively what I'm putting down is the, what they're thinking too. But let's say the joke is, I, I won't even say what the, but here's the, here's the scene. Uh, the, the character act is exits the door on the second floor of a house. And he's standing at the top of the, at the up top of the stairway. And he makes the, he says something, it's a joke. And then, uh, maybe that's what I pitch. I go like, so maybe just before he goes down the stairs, 
he says this. And then Bobby says, yeah, right. And then as he's going down the stairs, he slips and he starts falling down the stairs. And then Pete says, yeah, right. And then when he gets down, he's lying there. He says this. All right. That's a sequence. Who wrote that joke? You know, right. you know that's that's a lot of dumb and dumbers like that. And a lot of that's what a collaboration is like. It becomes so organic. And so uh, you read each other's minds. You really do. Yeah. So much fun writing that way. It really is. I can imagine, you know, and like you were saying about that, that you enjoy writing with partners. And I guess when you're creating stuff, you're getting that feedback right away. Because even like when you think about it, the finished product is all about the feedback. You want the audiences to love that movie. You want them to laugh. You want them to scream or just have some sort of reaction. And when you're creating, it's it's right there with somebody else. I have, I have enormous respect for uh, writers who write like comedy and do it all themselves. Uh, enormous respect because they have to be everybody. They have to be the audience. They have to, they have to, they have to be so confident in the feedback in their own heads. And, uh, and it's, it's, but, but when you're in a partnership, it's so much easier and, and it's all about the throwing it back and forth and the way it changes as it goes around the room. And that's what a writer's room is. You know? that's, that's, at essence, what a writer's room is, why everyone's there. You, you, someone comes in, and they've got the, the general idea and they throw it out and then everyone starts pitching in. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah. And yeah, it, it, the, the, the feedback is crucial. It's crucial. It's about, you know, but, but there are people who are brilliant enough to be their own, their everything, their own, their own writer, their own director, their, their own audience. And kudos to them. I'm, I'm always impressed by that. Yeah. My, by the way, my favorite writers were Billy Wilder and I.A.L. Diamond. You know, Some Like It All is my favorite comedy. And that's the, the movie that inspired, that got me. I said, I, I remember seeing it when I was a, at UCLA, an undergraduate, and saying, wait, you mean every line can refer to something else? And it's that tight? And it's that funny? And it's that, that's what, that's what I want to do. I want to write movies like that, you know, very inspiring. Yeah. And I guess you guys probably really got to the point where you're just like a well-oiled machine when you were, when you're working like that and, and you have that easy sense of collaboration that you know that you, you're balancing each other. Absolutely. But, but having said that, I'll also say this, um, when we were writing Dumb and Dumber 2, we, there was a moment where we, we got to the plot and, and, and as well-oiled as the, the machine was in terms of how we worked with each other and how we, we could read each other's minds. We were, the plot, we came to a brick wall in terms of, of, of where it was and how to get it, move it over that brick wall. And we sat there for, I think, almost two weeks, every day, all day, sitting there, and the room was like this. You don't hear anything because that's everyone thinking for hours. You know, the well-oiled machine was not, <laughs> it, it was... It, it was, was idling a little bit. <laughs> it was idling, but it was chugging. But that's until we figured a way out of that 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 brick wall. But you have to think so much of writing, I say, is is creating and eliminating. You're you're chipping away at the stuff that doesn't work first to arrive at the, the solution that is the right solution for you. So it's not like you it's not like some magic where you sit down at the, the, the computer and oh, I've got the scene. It's all the versions of the scene that don't work have to be thought of first to finally arrive at the version that does. I love, I think, I think there's a movie, it may be come from the, the Diane Keaton movie called Something's Gotta Give, I think, where she's a writer and she's a playwright or whatever. And at the end of the movie, the last shot is her, she sits down in, in, in the, the, the writing room of this incredibly outrageously beautiful house that made me want to kill her for having, and she, She's at the computer and she typed something 
Then she reads it. She goes, oh, yes. And she sits back with this satisfaction. I said, that is hilarious. That's not how we wrote. It, it, it was not <laughs> typing it once and it was done. No, sorry, Diane. But that's why she had the beautiful house and why I have a haunted mansion poster behind me. <laughs> I hate to switch gears for a minute, but I, I guess uh, you're a great person to ask this question with the Writers Guild strike going on. If you could kind of offer a little bit of perspective so some of our listeners can really understand what exactly is going on. I, I, I'll do my I, I, I'm really I am the worst. Like like I would not be like the Guild would not endorse me in any way, shape <laughs> or form as an ambassador when it comes to the, to the to this but but i'll tell you what the the two the two or three most important things are and again there are lots of, there are excellent articles online being generated now particularly like like a go to deadline uh deadline hollywood because uh, there's there's there some really good ones explaining it but the last strike which was 16 years ago you know uh they're they're streaming this is all this is so much about streaming uh streaming services and how the uh, studios have pulled back on the concept of how to reward, how to how to pay residuals to a writer for work that they're doing, you know. Uh, and the residuals are are crucial. Or the residuals are what you after you've written something, after it's been produced, it's the money you keep getting from what you wrote uh, based on how it's seen, how many times it's seen, who sees it. And this is something that the streamers and streaming has made sort of a secret of they, they won't they won't reveal and Netflix is infamous about this. They won't reveal how much how many people watch their shows. And and so not revealing that, we don't know how we should be compensated for for in residuals for what we should get. And so that one of the things that, that we have to re put on the table is now that it's this many years later and we know how hugely important residuals and the streaming is for the revenue of these studios we have to reconceive what a writer gets also a lot of the ancillary ways a writer would make money dvd i'm going to say these old things dvd rental rent dvd's gone i mean those it's those are those are eliminated now it's coming it leans heavily into streaming we have to reconceive streaming and they're they don't want to tell us what they're what they're making or how many people are watching it or anything like that. And, and it's got to be explained. AI is the other one that's so that's so big because AI is is a huge potential. I think studios, if they could, they would what they want to do is they want to use AI to generate plots or generate scripts for their shows, uh, generate rewrites on movies. And then once they see the uh the kind of cold crap awful results and, and you're seeing samples of it now no matter how sophisticated it is it's still that you put an ai generated plot or, or script next to a human one and you can tell the difference trust me then they'll bring in the writer for a very reduced price to rewrite the ai we don't want that to be we don't want we need to make regulations about that but it, it's really important and we're the first ones on the line. I mean, like the the, the SAG is if, if they if AI is progressing the way it's going to progress, they will be able to have actors uh, doing things that they weren't there to do. That that's that's AI generated uh, voiceovers in in all sorts of uh, in, in in cartoons and in animation. All of it is impacted. We're just the first ones at the table that, yeah. that are trying to get to get it down and say, let's make some rules about this. Yeah. So those are the two 
Those are the two real strong issues of this strike. And they're big ones because we're dealing with, it's very much like, like Napster, you know, like, like the whole music, the whole, how music changed when Napster uh, took on how to, how to compensate artists for their work when, when a new technology was created uh, to, uh, to get their work out there. So AI is going to, is, that's what we're looking at now. Poorly, poorly phrased. I'm sorry to all your listeners, Jim. Please. <laughs> I, I, I followed you. that, minute, so you don't have to worry. Well, then I'm sorry for you. <laughs> <laughs> See, now we took a little secret break, folks, but we're not supposed to tell anybody. This is what happens in Zoom land. <laughs> I took a shower and uh, <laughs> I ordered some food, called some friends, came some to the apartment. Uh, <laughs> it was a six month break. That was the. It, 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 <laughs> it's just like it was right now. Yes. <laughs> now, Benny, you said you had a story about your mom, so please. Yes, like I'll give you an. I just so that you understand the. I I was raised Orthodox Jewish, but my parents were the most wonderful people, and uh, and they had a very they had a very dry sense of humor. My mom only had one of my entire you know uh, career. My mom only had one review of mine that that she kept that was on her refrigerator, and it was a review from Dumb and Dumber. And the reviews, I wish I could remember what paper it came from, but it said the writer's mother should be ashamed of themselves. <laughs> that was the review my mom kept on the refrigerator. <laughs> So we're, we're guessing the, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree where, where oh. the sense of humor is concerned. And then it turns into an applehead doll on the ground. And it's just, uh, yeah. In, in your time as, write, as writing, in your writing, I'm sure you probably had a lot of amazing moments. Is there any particular one that stands out for you? Amazing moments. Hmm. Gosh, there, you know, there, there, I mean, there are a lot of stories of bizarre things that happen. <laughs> Um, I will tell you this, just because I I, I I think I can I can sort of like uh keep some of the people anonymous while telling the story. But so Peter and I, we moved back to Los Angeles, you know. I mean, I was coming back home, but he was moving here mm-hmm. after you know being in grad school. And now we're we're we have our first meeting, supposedly, and, and who it's it's with. It's going to be with Eddie Murphy's manager wants to meet us before we met Eddie even. And uh, and it was at Paramount. And because because all these people aren't around anymore, I think I can say that. And we go to this again. This is our first meeting. Like we we don't even know. We don't. We are so green. No, absolutely nothing. And we go to the uh, Murphy. Eddie had taken over the the Stallone. The St- Stallone had, built, had these uh, production offices that were probably some other big stars. But you know, it, it it goes and moves to the next big star. So Stallone was gone, and now they've been redone for Eddie. And we go and we, we go and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and it's a half an hour. Uh, 45 minutes and and then uh the secretary comes in or the assistant comes in and says uh you know uh, it says x is uh he's just running late he's he's driving back from vegas uh he was went to vegas to see eddie and so we're like okay well we'll, we'll wait now it's an hour now it's a little over an hour and suddenly he comes in and this is and he comes in and he sweeps into the office and he he this is an impression and it's not i i, I this is, and, and pete and i he goes like it's just been a minute. And he's and I didn't know what coked out meant then because it was new, but I, I this was the edu- the education of the moment. He's 
absolutely coked out. He's high energy, slurring. We can't understand anything. He goes to, he has like a private bathroom. He goes to the bathroom. He walks into the bathroom with the door open, keeps talking as he's urinating. Guys, I'm understanding. I crap. Dust, dust. Pete and I are like, what do we do? Stay, stay. We stay. We don't walk. Comes out, flush, comes out, sits down in the chair. And now, He's talking to us. And again, I, I not a word could we. So we're, it's, it's a lot of nodding, a lot of uh-huh, a lot of yesing. And as he's talking to us, he's sliding, he's falling out of the chair in slow motion, falling out of the chair. He's literally sliding out of the chair onto the floor. I hope you can like and then guys are just and then until he's finally just like seeing that like <laughs> We got through the whole meeting without understanding anything. Needless to say, it was a lot easier when we were talking to Eddie. <laughs> uh, but um, that was our introduction to Hollywood. And I don't think it could have been a better one. For, for 1986, it was perfect. It's exactly what, what that world was like back then. Hey, before I let you go, I heard a rumor online. I don't know if this is true, and I'm sure you might know. I know with you know, with the strike going on, yeah. I read something that there's going to be a Dumb and Dumber 3. You know, I... I suddenly start that po- that started popping up like in February, I think. I saw these articles and I, I immediately called Pete and I said, are we doing another one? Because the second one was a surprise. Like Pete called me to tell me we were doing the second one, which was a lovely surprise. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I couldn't wait to do it. And we had so much fun writing it. It was such a blast. So much fun working with them. But Pete said, not that I know of. So I, I don't think that that's, that's nothing that, that we've that, that, and Bobby didn't know either. So I don't know how realistic that is. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know what the truth of that is. You know, and, and the internet is such a, you know, a, a, a truth generator. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it's amazing. You can believe everything. Well, there you have it. We have the official word from one well, of the right. The unofficial official word, but that's because we have it. Maybe, God, God, who knows? Maybe they're maybe they're getting some young whippersnappers, some young uh, scabs to cross the picket line and <laughs> and write it behind our backs to make it easier. Because that's like a that's like AI. There'd be a first draft generated, and then we could just rewrite it. But uh, as far as we know, no. It would be fun to do. It would be fun to do another one. But does it? Is this need to be done? Not necessarily, but those are almost they're 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 fun they're fun to do. I mean, the second one was such a blast. Everyone had such a good time on it. You know, I was I was going to ask you, is it a double edged sword? Because I mean, you made such a funny movie the first time around, and then you're going into it and like you flesh out the characters, and you yeah. like you don't want to really repeat you know the gags of the first one, but you yeah. got to kind of like take it like a, a step further without overdoing it. You know what? We I, I'll tell you uh, very honestly, Jay. We didn't think about what expectations were on us because we, that those would have just placed unnecessary, the crazy restrictions on, of, 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 a, of a phantom audience, you know. And so we just said, go with our guts. You know, we did the first. Let's go, go with trust us. Obviously, it was years later. Those guys had made a bunch of movies more. They had that much more experience. I had written and co-written a bunch of movies more just trust our guts on it you know and 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 know that what we want to do make just make it funny for us you know and that's 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 that was the gyroscope that we that we leaned on for that because we were like yeah don't don't start thinking what do people expect because that's a that's a deep dark hole that will take you away from your intuition which you should trust i like that 
Yeah. yeah. You, 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 you saw it work the first time and you didn't get crazy for it the second time. And you just, you just did what you do. Yeah, we did. And we did what we thought would be, but I, I brought, what's interesting, what's fascinating to me about dumb is that you can, you know, I, I'm so thrilled to have been a co-writer on it and to be, to be the co-creator of something that's, that's got, it's in the Zyka. Like there are, you can think of all the movies that won Academy Awards that are brilliant, fantastic movies that aren't cult movies and haven't achieved the weird level of distinction that and 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 affection that Dumb has with people. You can't make that happen. You know, it right. was it was a financially successful movie, but it was reviewed terribly, including the review on my, on my mom's refrigerator. <laughs> and and so it wasn't like and so it, the years passed, and, and an affection grew developed about it. And and, and you know, like the, like and so like the grit in a, in a Oyster, it became this pearl uh, uh, that people thought of, but only years later in a very warm way. And it's not nothing that we could have ever done ourselves. It it happens to movies. Certain movies are lucky enough to do that. And so I'm just thrilled that that's what happened with us. We were lucky enough to be one of those movies that's much later regarded in some affectionate way. And so when Dumb and Dumber 2 came out, so what happens with that is an audience takes a movie and if you're so, it's a part of your, maybe you saw it as, as a kid, you saw it as a teenager. It's it's a part of your your history and you take those characters in, in a way that's very personal. And so that's different. So when the second one came out, everyone had integrated it who loved it the first one had integrated those characters in a way and so they some people saw it and they were like that's not the way harry and lloyd would act they wouldn't act like that and we were like well it, it is because we, we did write the first one and, and we that's how we think they'd act but other people had different feelings about those characters and so they felt like the second one they, they weren't acting as they sort of it, it betrayed the the way they acted but i think it's just this natural thing of what happens when a movie is so, when you love it so much, you take it in and it becomes personalized. Yeah. And then you relate to the characters in a way that that you didn't, with the, you know, that you don't in other movies. And so uh, I think that happened with two. But. Sure. And, and two people sitting next to each other in a theater won't necessarily get the same thing out of the same movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. Including that the reviewer of the, uh, on my mom's refrigerator. <laughs> I can't, I'm trying to think of, I think the San Francisco like like we got like three reviews where they said this is hilarious and 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 we were also really lucky to be at the t- we were the third Jim Carrey movie released in 1994 you know Ace Ventura which was a huge hit and then The Mask was a huge hit and then we came along and so he was a big star and this movie came along and we just we were so lucky to have that all that all that momentum it was it was thrilling we were so lucky we were and then, and also, the script was funny, but everyone brought something to it. That was a production where everyone on the crew and they all added. What, what makes a what makes a good script great is everyone adding their doing their best. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's the magic of movies. Yeah, just making it all come together. Yeah, make it all come together rather than take it apart by piece by piece. <laughs> what what's next for you once this this strike is over and and you get back to work? You just take it easy or my writing partner James Johnston and I who I've written with for 14, 15 16 years. I mean, we're like a a marriage that just won't end, you know. <laughs> I can't believe I said that. <laughs> uh 
But we we wrote just before we had interest in a, a spec script of ours that was actually talk about genre. It was a supernatural thriller called Traction. And uh, the producer took us to breakfast on like like a couple last days of April and said, guys, is there a reality? Is the strike happening or not? And we said, from what we can tell and from all the meetings with the Writers Guild, yeah, it's going to happen. He said, well, then I want to buy your script before the strike, which literally meant 72 hours away. So we sold this spec script uh, 72 hours before the strike. And now we've signed everything on April 30th. The strike started technically on, on May 2nd. And so he's there in the midst. The irony is that he rushed to buy it because of the strike. The extra irony is that we can't, they're, they're in pre-production and everything because they're going to be making it at the end of this year. We can't work on it because of the strike. You know, we, we're not allowed to. And, and we respect that. So it was a give and a take and all that. But that's going to be made at the end of the year by in September. And that'll probably be coming out next year. And that's a, a very, it's a, a supernatural thriller called Traction. Um, and keep an eye out for it because it's a, it's a fun, scary, supernatural thriller. It's, it's, it's actually, it's a fun idea. It's kind of, it's kind of scary. Yeah. I, I think what we'll do is, uh, well, I'll try and get it out of my social media when it, when it comes out and we'll, sure. we'll reference our buddy Bennett here. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'll reference my buddy Jim and everything I do. <laughs> Thank when I go you get so gas much. tonight. I'm going to say, my, my friend Jim was just telling me that, and they'll go, who's Jim? I go, uh, uh, it's a long story. I'll, I'll send you a link. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show it was a pleasure jim thank you very much uh, and good luck to all your all writing fans out there do it write and stick with it you want to write stick with it because when the people who give up drop out you rise up you're the next you you got you, you're actually raised your possibility of of having a career and doing it is raised because of people who've given up before you i know that sounds so it's an incredibly dark vision of, of success, but, but I like Hollywood it. for you, right? It's, it's a Hollywood vision. It's perfect. Yeah. Be a rebel. Follow the show at Share Pollution on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. A very special thanks to Bennett Yellen for swinging by the Sharper Screening Room. And we are here every week with new episodes every Wednesday, of course. And if you like our show, if you can, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a nice review. And for your kindness, you, yes, you, if you let me know that you've done this, can be entered into a contest where you can win some podcast merchandise absolutely free, right from me, Jim the Podcast Sherpa. If you're loving the show as well, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even sometimes TikTok at Sherpolution as well as our exciting new YouTube channel. And how do you find the YouTube channel? Just look for Sherpolution or even too many podcasts, but Sherpolution is the best bet. I believe the official tag is at Sherpolution5000. And you will get to hear a whole bunch of episodes from this season. And I am feverishly working to bring some of the older episodes onto the YouTube channel as well. And I'm working on all those cute little thumbnail pictures that you see to identify them. And if you don't care to listen on YouTube, you can also listen to us on YouTube Music. And whatever is there on YouTube, it will also be there on YouTube Music. It'll be a little bit of a streamlined version of the podcast, but they will have nothing but really great shows, shows that I'm really happy about. So check it out if you want something to listen to. By the way, if you are an Android phone owner, you've probably got YouTube Music right there on your phone. So all you just got to do, 
look for Too Many Podcasts under YouTube Music, and subscribe. Boom, that's it. You'll get new episodes every week. It's just that simple. I know I say that a lot. We like keeping things simple here at the Sherpa Chalet. Just a nice, simple Sherpa Chalet. I think that works. Okay. I believe I've rambled on enough. So until next time, Lord Mr. Bruce and I will be heading on out of here, and we will see you next week, we hope. And until then, viva la Sherpolution. Thanks for listening to the Sherpa Screening Room. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast. I'm Mr. Bruce, and this has been a Sherpa Loose Studios production. Viva la Sherpolution. You know, Rebels, if you've been checking out some of my promotional ads on social media, you'll be aware that I have been using a lot of AI programs to help me create ads. But you know what? There's a lot more uses for AI than just funny little videos. And I'd like to introduce one of our new sponsors, Podium. It is a leader in creating AI tools for podcasters. Now, let's say you've got a podcast and maybe you're even thinking of doing a podcast. You're probably wondering, well, how can AI be integrated with your workflow? I'll tell you about Podium. As a podcaster, you know that writing show notes and creating chapters and transcribing episodes takes a lot of time and it can cost you a lot of money too. But you know what? That's where Podium comes in. It's an AI tool designed specifically for creators and podcasters with the goal of making post-production tasks quick and easy. And in just a few minutes, Podium generates show notes, chapters, summaries, clips for social media, a full transcript, suggested episode titles, social media posts, and more. That's a lot of work for one little program. Your show notes are key to your podcast's success because it helps new listeners find your podcast and they'll know if it's a fit for them. You know, kind of like too many podcasts. It also improves your SEO. That's your search engine optimization. Ooh, big phrase there. And overall accessibility. And with Podium, you can focus on creating a great podcast and let Podium's AI do the heavy lifting. But Podium isn't just for solo creators and podcasters. It's a game changer for editors, producers, marketers, agencies, and production studios. Teams that use Podiums are able to increase workloads, decrease turnaround times, and improve their quality. How does it work? Very easy. First, go to Podium's website, and you'll see that link that's right there in the show notes. You get three hours free just to try it. Pretty cool, huh? And using that link also supports this show as well. And you know what else happens? Because I'm a good guy. You use my link, you will get 50% off for your first month. So visit the site, upload an MP3 file, and download your files, and that's it. And if you need anything else, you can use Podium GPT to generate articles and any marketing copy you might need in seconds, instant show notes, transcripts, chapters for your podcast or channel. This will level up that podcast. So check out Podium today.